0: The only purpose of the Talking Space podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweep Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate.
1: All of you on the One small step for man, one giant
2: leap.
3: to another episode of Talking Space. This happens to be a great episode. Number one, it's my lucky number, episode 218 for the week of May 23rd, 2010. And we also have some great content with some great panelists. How can you beat it? So let's meet them as well. Welcome, Gene McCulka.
0: Good evening, Sawyer. Glad to be here. Uh, loaded with some
3: Traveler's Tales for you guys. So glad you're with us. Can't wait to hear them. Welcome as well, Gina Herlihy. Hey, Sawyer. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. And welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. Tweet, 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 tweet. Good evening.
2: Good evening to you as well. There was a little bit of that going on just a few days ago.
3: Yeah, just a little bit. So while you're tweeting out of your shoes, it's been a very busy week in space, and uh, Mark, why don't you uh, tweet us off? Get it? Tweet instead of lead. <laughs>
2: Well, I found some things that are interesting. Talk about being a busy week to have uh, the number of launches that we had in a short time. Uh, The Ariane 5, which, you know, when you don't see news, you don't realize that there is news. But the Ariane 5 had a five-month delay from their last launch, and they successfully launched their 50th Ariane 5 on May 21st at uh, 2201 UTC. And a successful launch. But it was preceded with a five-month delay, and part of that was a, uh, a stand-down to take a look at quality control practices. And the the audit continues, but they did clear the, the launch and, of course, had a successful one. So, you know, that's good news. And um, they've got a commercial broadcasting satellite that they lofted. Uh, it's also going to have a payload for uh, German military. So I thought that was interesting to... To have that along with certainly STS-132.
3: Indeed, and uh, I think there was one more launch even.
2: Well, that would have been the the second would have been the first. Actually, the uh, JAXA (laughs) launched on the day before at dawn local time. A uh, H-2A rocket had a probe that went to Venus, and it's called the I wish I knew how to pronounce Japanese, Akatsuki? Akatsuki? I'm not even going to say it. Let's just call it a probe. Uh, (laughs) Their uh, payload was a probe going to Venus, which they called the Planet C and Venus Climate Orbiter. They referred to it as the first interplanetary weather satellite, according to the Japanese space officials. And uh, so couple of successful launches. The Japanese have not had near as many as Ariane and certainly the U.S., but congratulations on that, too.
3: Yes, indeed. Congratulations to both France and Japan for those successful launches. Well, that was the week of successful launches, but of course, along with successful, you always have the delays. And SpaceX delayed twice in one week. First, the delay was for later in the week of the 23rd, more towards the 25th or 26th of May. However, now they are saying that it will be postponed until June. Any reasons? Anything at all?
0: Well, SpaceX has been uh, you know, traditionally tight-lipped, and you know, which is I mean, understandable. I mean, they've got competitors that are trying to go ahead and do the same thing they're doing, but uh, it still would be kind of nice to figure out what's going on in that you know, I know They've got competition and, and all that, but with all due respect, you know, we're kind of paying for it still, and it would be nice to, to find out what exactly is the hold up. holdup. I mean, if it's a paperwork holdup, then, you know, hey, say it's a paperwork hold up, and that's that, but if it's something else, um, you know, say it's something else, and I guess maybe uh, this, this unfortunately, may be a, 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 you know, sort of a, a, a thing that we're going to have to look at in this new, brave new world coming up where we're not going to have full disclosure because of, of yeah, competitiveness. So.
3: so does this say something about possibly the future of commercial space, the fact that they're delaying so often and they're not explaining? Do you think that's going to be something that's related to the future of uh, private exploration, or do you think it's just an isolated case?
0: Do I think it's isolated? Well, probably in the beginning, yeah, because we, we want to go ahead and they're, they're probably just, just trying to play it close to the vest since this is the first, you know, the first Falcon 9 uh, uh, attempt, um, so I think this might be might be somewhat isolated. But uh, you know, time will tell. Um, we'll just have to wait and see.
2: I'm just wondering, anybody want to volunteer to take Elon Musk uh, his shoes for a while, because the company's in a position where you know, with a successful launch, it's a win for the whole commercial spaceflight uh, industry in the U.S. If they don't have a successful launch, imagine the spin it could put everything in as to, well, you you know, the naysayers would will probably say things like, see, you can't trust commercial space. You know, they're going to be years before they get to be as reliable as, as NASA. And yet, really, it's it's no different than, you know, a first launch is a first launch and there's risk to be acknowledged and, you know, even uh, what was it, Aries, think about this Aries 1X a few months ago we were criticizing and and complimenting the successes and failures and one of the things I remember Gene, I think you said was remember, it's a test flight Right. and so here's SpaceX with the same challenges but unfortunately they've got uh, I think the pressure of of all of commercial spaceflight on them, at least for the near future.
0: Yeah, and Elon Musk basically came out and and, and said that we don't want this to be a, a you know sort of a reflection on the entire you know commercial effort. I think he, he's just saying we we're we're trying our, our darnest to make sure everything works and we've got we wanna make sure that we have all our I's dot and T's crossed. And that's fine. But you know, whenever there's a delay with NASA or something like that, they come out and say Hey, it's 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 this that or the other thing that, that's wrong, and we're going to go back. We're going to take a look at it. We're going to examine it. We're going to fix it. Um, you, you know, I'm wondering. You know, again to 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 revisit the question you just asked Sawyer. I'm hoping that it's because this is the the first flight and they're trying to play it close to the vest and they don't want to you know let uh, the whole world know about about the development problems they're having. But uh, by the same token, too, you know we are paying for it. So, and yeah, this is, I will maintain too that Falcon 9 that's sitting on the pad right now is a test flight and should be looked at as such. And uh, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You go back to the drawing board and you fix it and you fly again. And that, because that's what, that's what NASA's been doing for the past you know, 40, you know, 40, 50 years. So, you know, again, I, my, my bet is they're probably playing this this first launch close to the vest. And they want to make sure that everything's right. That's why they keep pushing this thing back.
2: Of course, I'm sure they've got to answer some phone calls from NASA headquarters. You know, since they're paying the bills on it, it's their, yeah. uh, you know, their contract. NASA NASA knows what's going on. So, you know, I'm perfectly willing to say, you know, hey, when, when it launches, it launches. And, and I'll patiently wait, and uh, fingers crossed, for success on it, both for the sake of SpaceX, NASA, and the rest of the industry.
0: There's a lot, you know. I, as much as I hate to say this, there is a lot, lot writing on this, uh, you know, and I, I'm uh, just to see how how the, all this commercial stuff is going to work out. But uh, we'll, we'll just we'll just see what happens. Uh, I'm most anxious to see this thing work. I hope it does. Contrary to what other, <laughs> others may think, and because uh, if if this works, you know, I think we all win.
3: Okay, then. So, as we finish with that, we'll move along to another subject, and from this, we're going to continue launching off our planet and head over to Mars, where Opportunity has now set a longevity record for the most surface time, beating Viking 1, who had 6 years and 116 days operating on the surface. So, not bad for the little rover that was supposed to go 90 days, huh?
0: I'd say we're definitely getting our money's worth out of both of these vehicles. Um, and the idea, too, though, is that Spirit could still overtake Opportunity and get that uh, get that honor if uh, Spirit awakens from its uh, a winter hibernation. And uh, it should be interesting to see if it actually does. Uh, a lot of people are kind of, kind of, kind of, you know, crossing their fingers on that one, but uh, we'll see. I and mean, uh, we are definitely, but we are definitely getting our money's worth out of both of these vehicles. Not too bad, you know. Both of them, which only had a, uh, as you pointed out, was only supposed to last about 90 days. Uh, I get, I think we've really, really gotten some some good stuff out of it. And, and the Mars more, more Science Laboratory, or Curiosity, as it's called, uh, should be joining the uh, the the two uh, two little rovers that could in the not too distant future. So It'll be very, it'll be a very exciting uh, time for Mars exploration.
2: And on Mars, you know, Mars Phoenix, our friend uh, up in the northern latitudes of Mars that, uh, unlike Spirit that's in hibernation, Mars Phoenix is in the literal deep freeze and really wasn't designed for that and wasn't expected to come back. And uh, from May 17th to 21st, NASA's uh, Mars Odyssey Orbiter is doing its fourth and final listening campaign. It'll have, during that time frame, something like 61 flights over the lander site, and we'll see if they pick anything up.
3: All right, I hope they do. So then, uh, with that, I believe we can move along to our next-to-last topic, which was that we must give a very special congratulations to a flight controller, and that would be Lonnie Schmidt, who with STS-132, which is currently in orbit, he is now the first mission controller to have been on console for 100 space shuttle flights. Schmidt is a member of the Shuttle Propulsions System team, also known as the PROP team, and his first mission, which he was on, was STS-1 from the very beginning. And as well, he has been part of some very important missions, including ones that have delivered pieces of the, st- of the station, including solar array assemblies, The JLP, Dexter, the robotic arm, the Quest Airlock. He's also been part of seven satellite deploy missions, three DOD, Department of Defense missions, and is also there for the first time that they practice docking using something called the R-Bar approach method to prepare for docking, which since then is now used. So, congratulations again to Lonnie Schmidt.
2: That's pretty interesting. Imagine the number of people that have worked as flight controllers that know the guy. I mean, he's probably one of the one of the best known folks in that field at uh, Johnson Space Center.
0: Yeah, and again, if uh, and there was a really really cool interview with him on NASA Television. It's uh, been uh, uh, preserved on the Collect Space website. So if anybody wants to go ahead and take a look at it, it's there. Uh, it was a real real cool in depth interview with uh, with Mr. Schmidt and uh, and uh, with NASA PAO. So if anybody's interested, definitely take a look
3: at that. Okay, now I believe we have one last topic. And this one is going to go back to one of our episodes from the first season, where there was the STS one hundred twenty nine launch tweet up. Well, there was another one for STS one hundred thirty two, and this time our very own Gene McCulka and Gina Hurley he were there. So uh, do you guys mind giving us a little bit of a rundown on the event?
0: Oh boy, where do we start? <laughs> Oh man first off um, it was quite an honor finally to meet Gina because she was the only member of this team I had not met yet and uh, it was it was real exciting to see that plus it was it was really good to, to touch base again with you mark uh, after uh, at one of the post uh, uh, launch event, you know party events so uh, just with that um, thanks a lot to both of you for putting up with me for a while. Um, where do I begin First off, uh, these guys first of NASA did, a, did, did an incredible job uh, on on getting this thing organized and uh, uh, kudos to everybody that uh, that put it together um, I believe uh, uh, Stephanie uh, forgive me Stephanie I know I'm, I'm mispronouncing your, your last name uh, shrineholtz I think it is forgive me because uh, I know I just mauled it um, she was probably one of the instrumental folks that put this together. Uh, Beth Beck, of course, and uh, John Yembrick, who is uh, uh, also with NASA PAO, kind of sort of helped out and, uh, and got, got this whole thing together. Uh, launch mine, at, first off, going into to KSC, um, looking at the vehicle assembly building as you're driving in uh, on, on this one road is, is just awesome. That alone, Gives you uh, gives you goosebumps. As we we started off uh, launch day minus one, uh, getting our, our credentials together and then uh, getting over to uh, um, uh, the tent area, which was right by uh, the press uh, the press area there, uh, and they had a a good uh, good lineup of, of folks for, for us to uh, to listen to and and hopefully learn from. Uh, Gina, if you want to take it from I want to go ahead and talk about a couple of these guys that uh, a couple of these folks that uh, that showed up and and talked to us.
1: Uh, yeah, Bobby Braun was uh, rather impressive. He's a futurist at NASA, and he is basically a strategic thinker that NASA has hired to. Um, he had some experience at NASA before, left went to the private sector, and came back to NASA. And sort of challenged with um, NASA's future direction and um, charting that out. Um, so he seems very enthusiastic about the new mission in NASA. He is um, very positive, very upbeat, and um, definitely seems like he's well suited for the job. Got some hard questions thrown at him, but uh, turned them around. Um, with a lot of positive message in his words and, um, you know, deflected a lot of negativity about some of the uncertainty of NASA's future, and I thought he handled that very, very well. Um, Stephanie Stilson spoke to us. She's the flow director um, in particular for the Discovery Orbiter. I think it was a question that I had brought up um, a couple episodes ago about what will happen to Atlantis, when uh, Atlantis lands, and I asked her that question specifically, and um, even though she's not in charge of Atlantis, she's in charge of Discovery, she knew uh, the answer would be to begin to prep Atlantis again for another flight in case of a rescue mission, and uh, that will be its role um, instead of immediately becoming mock um, and I suppose in case... Um, there's a chance that at least 135 gets added to the shuttle manifest in addition to, um, you know, any other potential future flights coming online, you know, after the supply chain may get started up. Um, it doesn't seem like any of these people are even thinking that maybe she was the closest to having some thought process there. But certainly no one else um, that spoke to us at NASA had any uh, dreams or um, thought or communicated at all that they were even thinking in the slightest bit possible that space shuttle would be extended. Um, trying to think who else spoke to us that day. Astronaut Janice Voss spoke to us. Um, she seemed very um, positive about NASA's new mission. She, I'm sure, affected, um, obviously, quite directly as an astronaut, that there would be quite a bit of space Bad time, but quite a bit of time in between her most previous mission and the next opportunity she would get to fly in space. Whether she hangs in there or not, who knows? But, um, you know, really trying to sell uh, NASA's new mission um, to those people at the event.
0: First, John Cowart's always a a joy to listen to. Uh, He gave us a little bit of a discussion about how. uh, I'll, he was just trying to, to make us also kind of sort of feel a little bit more cosier about uh, uh, the new direction and so on. But he was also uh, talking a little bit about how the orbiter is uh, is integrated into into the stack and how the stack is prepared and and sent out to the to the uh, to the launch pad. And uh, he's always a, a great entertaining speaker to listen to. So if if, if you ever ever get the uh, the opportunity and to, uh, to hear uh, John Cowart speak, please do, by all means. He's a very, very good speaker. Um, to, to just go back one, one moment uh, with uh, uh, Bobby Braun, indeed, he was probably one of the – he was also a, a very good speaker and, and, and really, really brought up some good points uh, in favor of the new direction that, that uh, NASA is going into. Uh, he one of the examples he gave was um, everybody was saying, well, you know, okay, fine, we've thrown about nine billion dollars at Constellation, um, but there comes a time where you have to go ahead and sit there and say, all right, let me look at my my investments, and he used use the, the the Wall Street investment portfolio idea. You're looking at your investments and everything is just going down. Well, you've got to go ahead and make a change, um, and. Uh, You know stop throwing good money after bad and and move into a different direction And that's kind of sort of the way he was trying to sell uh, This particular you know the plan to us and you know those of you who've who've heard uh, me before talk about it I'm you know no, I'm I'm not exactly all in yet. I'm still not all in yet, but we're we're a lot closer to understanding uh, this new direction Uh, at this point but I'm still not all there yet as far as jumping on board this thing. We'll we'll get to uh we'll get to the reason why in a, in a few. Uh but go, Gina, go ahead. Um I'll 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 turn it back over to you here. Um oh, uh, one more thing too. Stephanie Stilson, who is uh, the discovery flow director did point out that all of the other flow directors are are women. So uh so uh, you know if everybody is, is trying to see, if, you know, women are, are trying to get engineering jobs and so on. There are women out there in the industry and, and doing some good work. So.
1: Um, who spoke to us after him?
0: I think that was uh, I think that was Ron Woods, uh, who was part of the. Uh, he had helped uh, design a lot of the, the 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 suits and so on, and he uh, actually brought along some of the uh, some things for show and tell, if you will. Uh, passed around uh, some. Uh, some uh, of the equipment, like for instance, I think uh, one of the, the boots made its way around. i if, if I remember, uh, from the Apollo days. i I'm not uh, sure I was there boot. for a lot of that. I don't
1: okay. know if you want to talk about him. I, I'm not sure I was there for most of that.
0: Okay, but still, he was he was he was fairly good. You know, he, he was also an, a, a dynamite speaker, and uh, uh, he's also a, a rather accomplished artist and showed some of his artwork as well. And uh, that that was that was rather breathtaking I and mean, some really good stuff. Um, after that, we kind of broke for lunch and um, it was time then to uh, uh, go off on, on the tour of the, uh, the Kennedy Space Center. And uh, that is that we, we got a little bit more than we really bargained for a little bit uh, with, with 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 our little tour. Uh, in that we got to sit there and watch the, uh, uh, the remote service structure or the RSS move away from the Orbiter Atlantis. Uh, just how many, how far away were we from the pad, Gina? Seriously?
1: 440 feet.
0: There you go. And that was, that was just, wow, we didn't get to do that on STS-129, and that was, um, that was rather special, being there. Uh, because this was... This was theoretically the last time that this particular bird was going to sit there, and I kind of felt like you know, we were really, really a part of history watching this thing, you know, watching this roll away happen. Uh, we actually we got the side view. We were supposed to have the forward view at one point, but uh, we got moved over to the side view, which was fine because we got to see uh, the bird before a lot of the reporters did, and uh, that was still it was still quite an honor. On to be there. Uh, we actually got a got a group shot. If anybody's interested, it's in the uh, uh, on the NASA Flickr page. If anybody's looking at that, you know, there's actually two group photos. Uh, one is by by the Atlantis uh, after uh, the RSS roll away, and the other one is by the countdown clock. So, you want to mention anything? You want to mention about uh, about launch day, Gina? Was this was this your first one uh, from this distance, or or was this your first launch period? Uh, no, I think it's
1: about my sixth launch. But really? The, I'm not so sure I could do it justice for the entire itinerary. If you want
0: to talk about it. Okay. Um, I, I still want to go ahead and, and and talk, you know, about other things that maybe you might you, we you did during a, uh, either a launch day minus one or or or, or on launch day two because I know we we kind of got separated a little bit and we were kind of sort of running around uh, doing different things, but. Uh, um, Bobby Brown, much to his credit, returned on launch day. We had another uh, uh, list of speakers on, on launch day, which was kind of cool. Um, David Wolf, uh, astronaut David Wolf stopped over, who I consider to be uh, you know, Mr. EVA. He was the one who went ahead and uh, had to uh, buckle down and, and sort of come up with a procedure really quick. With uh, If everybody remembers on STS-114, the, the gap filler uh, deal, and how, the, how that kind of sort of got blown out of proportion a little bit. Um, the idea was, to, okay, maybe we should go ahead and pull this thing. And they had to whip up a, an EVA procedure that had never been done before uh, very, very quickly. And uh, David Wolf was part of that team. In fact, I think he led the charge in, uh, in designing that procedure. Um, but... Uh, uh, it was it was nice for him to stop by and talk about his experiences. Um, Patrick Barrett, who is the uh, the weather officer for the for the flight, kind of kind of sat there and, uh, and and talked about his you know first off the what the what the uh, launch weather was going to be, but also talked about all the all the considerations that they put into uh, determining what uh, how how the vehicle would uh, would be safely launched through through any type of weather. At that point in time, though, he kind of gave us a little bit of a scare. Uh, we thought we were actually might be delayed because of the, the ceiling. I think there's a 5,000-foot ceiling limit over the SLA the, or the, uh, the shuttle landing uh, facility there, the SLF. Um, at that point in time, in that morning, it was about 3,500 feet, and that would have precluded uh, a return-to-launch site. Effort if they had to do that, so it was a slight possibility that we might be looking at a at a situation where we would scrub for the day. So, uh, but as things turned out, clouds got out of there, and we uh, we were given the go to launch.
1: Um, I'd also add that I think probably the best speaker, or maybe the biggest gun of the entire event was um, Deputy Administrator of NASA Lori Garber who. was after, I think she said it was her first launch first that she was actually on site at KSD 4 And it was great that she came over and spent, oh, I don't know, 20 or 25 minutes with us, talked to the group, she took some questions and answers. And, you know, she was in sales mode trying to basically sell NASA's new mission to, um, to the public and um, was talking about some special guests, David Letterman and a few other people that were there for the launch as well. Um, unfortunately, she kind of got hit by a couple of uh, or a, one particular combative question, and well, it wasn't even so much as it was a question, it was more of a combative statement, but she handled it with grace and tact, and um,
3: got right
1: back into the mode of selling NASA's new mission, and, you know, whether you agree with it or not, or agree with her prior uh Intimacy with uh, trying to develop commercial space as a prolific direction for America's space future. Um, she's definitely um, she's definitely someone that um, exudes confidence, and if some, if she almost makes you want, it, regardless of how you feel about NASA's new mission, She's definitely someone that wants. Um, or exposed from you, that you need to be a part of it and follow her. So um, I was impressed by her. Um, I was impressed by um, how she presented things. I think she's calm, cool, and level-headed. And, you know, I I think she is definitely um, a good pick to uh, be second in command at at NASA right now. So those are just my thoughts. Um, You know, I'm still a little Still a little unsure because it's like a little bit more definite, um, concrete dates, timeline, that sort of thing. But I think it's a whole new frontier for them trying to figure out what the next course of rocketry is. So a little bit harder, a little bit of putting the cart ahead of the horse right now. But she was definitely impressive, I will say that.
0: To just really to reiterate what, what Gina was saying, I've had some experience uh, with Ms. Glover before when she was uh, president over at NSS. I was an intern at the time when she was over there, and uh, she's an extraordinary impressive woman uh, that has not changed one iota uh, now that she's uh, uh, number two at NASA. And, and indeed, she's a, a really, really good uh, spokesman for this, this new way of doing things. Uh, to just really, really quickly reiterate to what, what Gina was, was referring to with uh, this rather combative individual. I think the individual's got this all wrong because she also took Bobby Brown to test during the event. And I, I think she, she's sort of got this, this whole thing kind of all, all kerfuffled here. She's blaming NASA for the whole whole thing, the whole thing going commercial and all this. NASA is just simply an apparatus that carries out directives from the White House. If you have a problem with policy, you know, direct it at the White House. You know, write your letters to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenues. Don't blame NASA. NASA is just simply the apparatus that carries out the policy that, that the White House dictates. So if you're going to go ahead and, and, and just sort of try to deflect things at, at NASA, don't because you're deflecting them the wrong way. Uh, but both of these folks, have, uh, both uh, uh, Bobby Braun and uh, and uh, Deputy Administrator Gar- Garber, have uh, uh, just gave magnificent presentations. They really did. And uh, I, again, uh, it, I'm almost there, boys and girls, almost there, buying in on, on this new new world. Give me a little bit more time here. Uh, there were a few other speakers there. Unfortunately, I was not in the uh, speakers' tent at that point. I was I was walking around trying to get a, a flavor of what was really really happening outside. The, uh, the ten, as it were, because I, I didn't think I was ever going to be back here again, and I wanted to make sure that that I, I captured a lot of the sounds and the sights. Uh, what really, really struck me is the amount of wildlife that's that's around that area. As uh, as you're looking out there, I mean, you know, we're looking out over the lagoon there at Atlantis, some three miles away, and you're looking over. You know, in, in the in lagoon there, there's manatee popping up. There was a crocodile, at, uh, a crocodile, an alligator that popped up. There are pelicans flying all over the place, and it just it, it just strikes me that we're in a, a the the Kennedy Space Center is actually in the middle of a wildlife preserve, and they go literally NASA goes out of their way to make sure that 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 the wildlife is is still in good shape, and, and the evidence of that is all over the places as, as you're looking. Looking out at all this, at all this technology. So, uh, again, it was a, it was a great, you know, it, was, it was really, really a, an interesting juxtaposition. Here you are, in the middle of this wildlife preserve with all this technology here, and they both sort of peacefully coexist. So, hats off to NASA for doing that. But um, again, the launch was a magnificent moment. You know, if you want to add something, please by all means jump in.
1: Um, yeah, sure. The launch was, you know, as you expected, it was really flawless. Um, it was, um, you know, there was a little consideration that the, the winds and the, the cloud ceiling was a little bit low, but things cleared up and, um, things went off without a hitch, which is, you know, just what NASA does best. And, it, you know, I, I've seen launches fairly close. Um, before, I've seen marches, uh on, on the top of, um, of the Astronaut um, Hall of Fame before on the roof, probably the second closest I've been. Well, I guess, no, I'm sorry, the Visitor Center as well. I've seen a launch from there. Um, but what was impressive was exactly, you know, what I had told, about other people that had seen it this, this close was that first you see, um, exhaust coming out of, I guess exhaust is the right word, coming out of the main engines before even a solid ignite. The ignite was the shuttle, I mean, quickly just jumps, leaps off the pad. And, you know, you're struck with the visual image of it, which is like, oh my God, there was the space shuttle. And then as it really climbs very quickly, the, the sound and the crackle and how loud it is and the it really, it's like this sharp crackling noise above you, and you know, just as you're starting to process that, and your senses, bam! Oh, you kind of hit with the the, the physical shockwave from all of the sound waves rolling towards you. So, you know, I, I've I've always heard of that, but it's not as pronounced um, an experience as when you're only 3.1 miles away. So, it was excellent. Um, you know it it, it it there's so much adrenaline it's so it's so much emotion, everybody's cheering and screaming and just delighted you know when it occurs, everybody's there for that moment and when the moment happens, perfect you know visibility the clarity was wonderful, all kinds of people around me got fantastic photos and oh so many people had incredible um, strong much stronger than me lens and camera equipment so I decided what I would do would be to just take in the moment. Uh, I did end up snapping some photos, which I was amazed at even um, with my zoom lens on just a Nikon SLR. And um, when I zoomed into them, um, when I downloaded them onto my computer, that I could see the entire space shuttle stack. So I was delighted, but lots of people around me got just incredible photos and videos and you know, it's just been a treat to kind of um, have everybody send me all their photos and be like, oh, yeah, or I was three people down from you when you took that. That's that's phenomenal. So um, it's been nice really the past week since Atlantis has still been in space just to really still uh, exchange photos and videos and just sort of keep reliving uh, that magical moment. But it was exciting, and then people kind of wandered around afterwards, like, okay, now what do I do? But I think the excitement was still there amongst those that experienced it, and people weren't all that quick to leave. It seemed like people were just sort of calm and content to hang out for a bit after a while. So, um, you know, it was just, it was everything the event was supposed to be, uh, culminating to the perfect moment of launch at the end, and um they addressed us afterwards, and they said, you know, you're free to go if you want. Uh, there's nothing else, um, you know, there's nothing else that's part of the official program. And no one really got up and left. People still, I think, they just wanted to talk about it, relive it, discuss it more. Uh, NASA TV was visible for us, so um, watch what was happening, you know. It was um, it was an experience a lot of people shared, and I don't think they were ready to give up that moment yet. So it was great. I mean, if you have the opportunity to get to a tweet-up, or if not, at least get to a launch as close as possible, you need to do it. And David Letterman, who was there, um, the launch occurred on a Friday, May 14th, and on his next show that he recorded on Monday, May 17th, he did about six or seven
0: minutes. When this uh, uh, rocket uh, go, goes up, it's just remarkable uh, the visual side of it, and then because. Uh, I always forget this. I think sound travels uh, slower than t- than the uh, light, light, yes, yeah, something yes. like that. The sound of it comes to you a little bit later after you see the the plumes of smoke and the, and the, it looks like the whole thing is on fire and then you get this tremendous ground shaking rumble and your jaw drops. in about of course I uh, was taking a leak and missed most of the. I was in the men's room. This is what people were telling me. I wish somebody just said, Dave, it's, hey, it's, but no. Yeah, I was at, I, I was right at the same spot where Mark, you, and uh, uh, Carissa, uh, Sidor, and uh, Catherine Qualtrough, uh had had watched sts 129 from, and I wanted to be right at that same spot, so just, you know, sort of in a, in a, in a really weird way. Um, you guys would would be there with me with me this time even though that that you couldn't be there uh, you couldn't be there physically so it was just sort of sort of my tribute to 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 uh, to you folks but uh, uh, to echo what Gina was saying yeah I mean you just you gang there's two launches left if you have the opportunity please go see this because it, it, it's just a breathtaking uh a breathtaking event to, to, to behold seriously. So please, you know, if if you can, if you get the opportunity, do it. You've got two chances left. So please, by all means,
3: which by the way, in reference to what was mentioned earlier, one of the group pictures from the launch will be in the show notes.
0: Good, sir. Thank you. Um, but, uh, yeah, again, you, you, for me personally, um, Seeing that uh, again um, for a second time was just—I I, don't—I'm still trying to find words uh, to describe what 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 witnessing this this vehicle go is like. And uh, there was a, another aside for me for me on a personal side. Personal note: Garrett Reisman is a former Morris County, New Jersey resident. Uh, he grew up in, in the Parsippany area, which is about maybe. Oh, not too far away from where I live, and I, I lived in Parsippany myself for for a few years. So, and,
3: and I just drove through nice. Parsippany today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it was it was nice to see a fellow Morris County resident uh, off uh, off into the heavens. So that was also quite an honor here. But in a way, for me personally, it was sort of a a, a bittersweet moment because this is this might be the last time that this particular orbiter flies. And uh, in a way, I felt as though we were, we were witnessing some history here. So it was, it was a unique event.
2: i got something to throw in. Uh, I got to see the launch, but uh, not from the tweet up. I was about 10 or 11 miles away uh, north of Titusville in a county park. And a lady that I met there after the launch made me promise not to tell anybody about it because it's a pretty good launch location if you're on the, the high ground. And unfortunately, we were on the low ground with most of the other folks, and, you know, we didn't see the shuttle until it was a few hundred feet, I'm sure, above the pad. But, uh, you know, good grief. And the reason I'm telling the story is anybody that gets a chance to get to the Space Coast, get to the Space Coast. Um, I was standing by a guy that was a truck driver who lived in the Orlando area, and he drove out there to uh, to see the launch, and I don't think he'd ever seen one, and he was impressed. And, you know, if you're 10 miles away or if you're one of the fortunate few that's three miles out at a tweet-up, it's still a, a, an incredible thing. It's it's well worth seeing a launch. And did you know, I remember, Gene, at the uh, 129 launch, they told us how few problem reports Atlantis had that it had set a record for STS-129 for a low number of of problem reports prior to launch.
0: Oh really? I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, 129 129 had the record. It was previously set by Discovery with 70 reports. STS 129 only had 54. Uh, Sawyer, which launch did you see? Was it 131? 130. You saw 130. Okay, 131 only had 47 problem reports. And guess who retook the record with forty six?
3: Endeavor. Huh. Atlantis.
2: <laughs> no, Atlantis on this launch took the record again with forty-six problem reports. Oh boy. And thanks to NASASpaceflight.com for that. And while I've got the uh, while I got the mic, let me throw in another interesting thing. Gina, uh, and Gene, did you hear Atlantis say anything as it launched? <laughs> I, I guess you didn't hear Atlantis uh, call out, but according to Alexey Krasnov, he is chief of piloted programs director at Roscosmos. Uh, he spoke during a post-launch news conference, and Krasnov remarked that Atlantis was screaming, Use me again. <laughs> oh,
0: I hope so. You know, I, I have a feeling, you know, the, the odds are that... Uh, that uh, this might be her last flight, we don't know. Um, STS one thirty five is still a possibility as of this uh, this recording. I know the the space station office is pushing for that kind of hard, but we'll we'll just have to wait and see what uh, what happens. Because I think it's going to cost what, Gina, about eight eight hundred million dollars? Is it for that last flight? I
1: think. Uh... Well, I it's the question of how much money a month they'll have to fill out just to keep everybody on staff and the facilities up and running more than it would cost for the specific actual flight. I think it's really the built-in cost of keeping the program running.
0: So either way, they would have to go ahead and petition, the I guess, uh, the White House to go ahead and, and authorize that, that last flight. So uh, we'll have to see what happens um, with that. Now you know, keep in mind too that for STS-135 it would be a minimal crew for people and um, you know you'd have to go ahead and depend on on, on the Russians to get you home if, if indeed there's a uh, uh, there's a problem with the orbiter. So you know, it, it's still a Still, still, it's still something up on the shelf. There's still some discussions about it. Stay tuned. It's going to be kind of, it's going to be kind of uh, interesting to see what happens. But I don't know. I think, I think indeed, uh, we may have just seen, we may be seeing Atlantis uh, one, just just taking to the to the heavens one, one last time, and, and that might be it.
3: All right. Anything else on the tweet-up?
0: Other than the fact that. Uh, Again, I want to thank uh, uh, on the air two, two other individuals that, that put, up with, put up with me during the week, uh, Catherine Baker and, uh, and Patrick Manley. Uh, they were both uh, incredible folks, and uh, again, thanks for, for sharing the experience with, with myself and Gina.
3: Alrighty then, and with that, I believe this episode has come to its conclusion. So, once again, I'd like to thank everybody for listening, and also thanks to everybody who joined us, including Gene McCulka. Thank you, Gene.
0: Oh, Sawyer, it's always a lot of fun to be here. Thank you so much.
3: Not a problem. Also, thank you as well, Gina Hurlihy. Oh, anytime, Sawyer. Thank you as well, Mark Ratterman.
2: Good to be here. Enjoy listening to, to Launch Stories.
3: And I'm jealous that all of you got to see this one and meet each other. I'll say that. However, the day shall come. But until then, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are.